Hello and welcome to Happy Place. I'm Fern Cotton and today's episode, oh, it's a right treat. It comes to you live from the podcast show in Islington, where I got to sit down on a stage with an audience and have a natter with the gorgeous, hilarious Sarah Cox. They're just always there, aren't they? And they just get you and you can just be 100% yourself. And it just does feel like on a computer game, like where you like, I've not really played a computer game for like 30 years, but where you, you know, like power up, like, like your soul, it just feeds your soul when you're with your best girl crew. As I mentioned, this was a live episode of Happy Place. It's been so long since we've been able to do one of these. So it was just so lovely. It was so good to be back in the flesh with all of you gorgeous people in the audience. Given this was all part of the podcast show, which was basically the most epic couple of days of everything from live podcast recording to panel talks about the industry. I did one with Gary Lineker, which was so much fun. I thought I'd start my show with a couple of behind the scenes anecdotes about making Happy Place over the years. So I really hope you enjoy getting a little peek behind the curtain of how this all works before Sarah joins me. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. All right, then, here is the show. Today I find myself in the Islington Assembly Hall, which is a very beautiful venue actually, where I'll be doing a live episode of Happy Place with someone that I like very much, which is quite handy. It's the one and only Sarah Cox. Now look, I'm really excited to talk to Sarah today. We haven't had a catch up for a very long time and there's been so much going on, uh, namely her writing a brilliant novel that I've read and loved that's doing so, so well. It's a proper little slice of escapism and I think a lot of our audience will have read it as well so they're going to really enjoy hearing about that, the writing process, also just the interesting trajectory of Sarah's career. So there's tons and tons to talk about uh, whilst I aimlessly walk around corridors in the Islington Assembly Hall looking for my dressing room so I can get out of a dirty old tracksuit and put a very, very nice dress on. Now we are going to be in quite a large venue with lots of people in there so it might sound a little bit different to your usual episode of Happy Place but I promise it will be as entertaining, lovely, thoughtful and informative as per usual. How are you doing? Oh, good. I'm so glad. Um, This will be very, very lovely and painless for everybody involved. Um, Oh, it's so nice. Do you know what? It's really lovely doing a podcast live. We've done a few of these and it is so nice to have an audience. And obviously... I'm imagining that you guys love podcasting in general, like listening to podcasts, hopefully you like Happy Place, 
Um, and obviously, doing Happy Place has just given me so many brilliant opportunities to talk to so many interesting people and to learn from them. And I've also found myself in some like pretty strange scenarios because of Happy Place. The, the other week, I had Mini Driver turned up to my house. And we did the episode, but there was a bit of me that kept going, Mini Driver's in your kitchen, Mini Driver's in your... She's drinking your tea, Mini Driver is in your house. Like, utterly surreal, beautiful moment. She was absolutely amazing. Um, another favourite of mine was when we had Jada Pinkett-Smith on. This was about three years ago. And I was terrified, like shitting myself terrified, so nervous. She's got an amazing aura, that sort of movie star, otherworldly aura. And she walked into the studio we were in and she had this amazing yellow jacket on. And I was like, oh my God, I love your coat. And she just went, thanks, and didn't look at me. And I thought, oh, she hates me. She, I like can already tell she hates me. But then five minutes into the podcast, we just had this gorgeous moment where we just clicked. And it was just two people having a brilliant chat and we got on so well. And it was just one of those wonderfully surprising moments. And certainly it's just an episode that I, I won't ever forget. Another good one was when I went to Mary Berry's house, which was, right, imagine in your head Mary Berry's house. That is what it looked like. It's exactly as you, there was an agar, obviously. There was a little pond. She brought biscuits along to the room we were recording in and she just sat there eating biscuits as we did the podcast, just sort of chewing and chatting and eating biscuits as, as we went along, which was, um, again, no surprise. Um, and then one of my favorite happy place experiences was getting to interview uh, Ludovico Inaudi. I love Ludovico Inaudi so, so much. So we were offered the opportunity to go and do a podcast with him. And his team said, first of all, do you want to do it? Yes. Um, it's in Sicily. I was like, amazing. We're going to Sicily. This was about three years ago again. So get on a plane, land in Sicily. I'm told to meet him at this opera house. So I go along to, I think it was the third oldest opera house in Europe. Beautiful, ornate, gorgeous building. And I get ushered into the auditorium and there's literally no one in there. I'm just sat there and he's rehearsing an opera that he was conducting. So there's this gorgeous opera going on and Ludovico's pottering around. I haven't said hi at this point. I'm just sat there going, I definitely shouldn't be in here. Like this is completely wrong that I'm watching this. But watch this whole thing, cried, beautiful, emotional went into the foyer to go and meet Ludovico before we did the podcast, met his manager, said, where do you want to, we need to find somewhere a bit quiet, where would you like to do the podcast? And his manager was like, we're going for lunch. And I was like, okay. And he's like, come on. And I was like, I'm, go I'm going to lunch. Oh, we're all going to lunch. Fine, we're going to lunch. It's like fabulously Italian. So we all walk out of the opera house weave our way around the gorgeous streets of Sicily, so picturesque and beautiful, end up going into this quaint little restaurant, just really private and lovely. I'm sat opposite Ludovico, which is completely surreal being a mega fan, sort of just light chit-chat. And then we go to order, and it's a fish restaurant. And a fish restaurants in Sicily literally only do fish. So you might get like a little plate with some leaves, maybe one tomato if you're lucky, but it's a fish restaurant and I'm a vegan. 
And I'm a people pleaser, so I thought, I, I'm not going to be like, uh, Ludo, I don't, eat f I don't eat fish, and there's literally nothing on the menu that isn't fish. So I ate all the fish. <laughs> I literally ate up. I had the fish cakes, I had the ceviche, I had these little like fishy balls that were so amazing. They were so good. I literally ate all of the fish. But I sacrificed things for my guests. This is what I do, this is the kind of person I am. But it's been for the last, I don't know, four and a bit years, just the most amazing experience getting to have these conversations and then getting to share them. And um, we're certainly committed to keeping up with this podcast and making sure it's as good as it can be and that we're covering all manner of subjects. And I don't know where we're going to go with tonight's one. We're just going to see what happens. But I have got an amazing guest for you tonight, as you well know, somebody that I absolutely adore, so much to chat about. So please welcome to the stage, Sarah Cox. So bright. It's so bright. <laughs> it's so bright. so bright. Is this dress a bit see-through? Oh. I feel like it might be. I thought it was like, it's like a police raid for a moment <laughs> with the lights. I know. We can't, I can't see any of you. It's just lights. It's actually quite good. I'll just put, <coughs> just put a book there. I don't know where it's best to put them, like maybe like that. That works. Just, uh, or you could just hold them like yes, that. No, I won't do that. Um, have you just literally come from the radio? Yes, on the back of a motorbike. Oh my God, it's very showbiz. Well, you know when people go, your just hair looks water. like you've arrived on the back of a motorbike. Yeah. actually have. It has. So sorry. And how was the show today, Sarah? Um, it was good, though. I've got one of those brains today, so good luck, everybody, where right. I just can't quite think of things. And I've got a brilliant producer called Louise who I can talk to on a talkback button. Yeah. So midway through a link, I'm like, because we were talking about that Love Life show that's on the iPlayer right. at the moment. And uh, midway through a link, and I'm like, oh, it's so good. I'm on EP3 with, um, oh, first series, what she called Small Lass. <laughs> And my producer goes, Anna Kendrick. And I'm like, Anna Kendrick, yeah, so it was, you know, it's that so we kind of brain. She can't stand behind you tonight and prompt you if you forget. No, so, and I wish I'd brought you some potted shrimp or something after oh, your fish no. story. Oh, all see. the fish. Oh, do you know what? Fish. For one day, it was so good eating fish, yeah, and yeah. I really went in. You were like, sort of, like you were scouring the sea bare, like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It was brilliant, it was brilliant. Um, there's so many things I want to talk to you about today, but I do want to start by saying a massive congratulations on your brilliant book, Throne, that you've put Thank on the table you. there, which is doing so amazingly. Thank you. So many people have already lapped up this story and enjoyed it so much. It's been this beautiful slice of escapism for people, myself included. It is so feel-good and a lovely... There's so many beautiful characters in there to just get stuck into and lose yourself in. It's, it's and it all based around pottery, I know. which is so wonderful. Was this an idea that you had whilst you were actually filming the throwdown? No, because that was quite a while back now. That was, I don't know, time's melted and morphed, doesn't it? I don't know when it was. It could have been 1962, <laughs> I don't know, a few years back. Uh, but it definitely sprung to mind as a nice way of getting some people together. Because on the great pottery throwdown, when I hosted that, you really saw the way potters interact with the clay and just how it's sort of quite meditative. And I thought it'd be the perfect place 
to bring people together. And also I knew that Kate Malone, MBE, my lovely pottery judge, you actually saw last night, it's lovely. I knew that she'd help me with all the pottery stuff. And I was at a charity pottery thing last night and I was so pleased because an actual potter came up. She came up and she said, I'm a maker. Which means they make pottery. I'm like, yes. And she said, everything was spot on, you know, because I knew that people would be like, that's the wrong temperature for that type of clay. So I wanted to get all those deeds spot on. Oh, I love it. And one of the beautiful things is obviously why you're so popular on the radio and have been for so long and why this book is doing so well is you're naturally just such a good storyteller. You know, even growing up before I joined Radio One, I would listen to your stories and you can make something just so average turn into a whole huge brilliant adventure and it's obviously a natural skill that you've got is that storytelling is it a sort of family thing often it's quite generational that you know your mum or your dad's a good storyteller or your nan was yeah it was my granddad was a great raconteur Vince he was about yay I oh, yeah black curly hair and a black sort of twirly tash he looked a bit like he was sort of in the in the mafia like Poirot yeah he's kind of like a little well he just he looked sort of Italian he was in he lived in Bolton as far as I know he didn't have any mafia connections <laughs> the Bolton mafia yeah that'd be a good one for who do you think you are can you imagine yeah, exactly they actually a similar program tried to look into doing a who do you think you are type thing on me I won't say it was a copy that Channel 5 was doing. We'll say it was inspired, <laughs> if the lawyers ask, by who do you think you are. And they went on my dad's side, and it was basically, because my dad's a farmer, and it was basically like farmer, 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 butcher, farmer, butcher, butcher, <laughs> farm, farm, farmer. They were like, nah, you're all right, love. It's kind of boring. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, but, yeah, so my granddad, Vince, was a, he wanted to be a stand-up. And during, like, the 60s, 50s, 60s, I think, he actually went to, like a comedy college that somebody was like running some course of how to be a stand-up and he never quite made it so it's quite a but yeah it came from Vince but it's a real you know as well as it being a skill you have there has to be an element of confidence in storytelling because Mm. we've all been in that situation where you're at a party or you're in a group and you've got a story to tell and you start with it and then you feel yourself sort of peter off a bit you lose your confidence in saying it or you feel like am I wasting people's time is this going on too long Do you think that was just sort of practice, trial and error, telling stories, working out the best way to sort of engage people in them? Yeah, I guess. I mean, I think there's just, I've always, I always try and have a beginning and a middle and an end a little bit with a story. And I always try, well, I always just try and note down things that are happening throughout the day. But I'm more confident, like, now or on the radio, perhaps. I think on the radio, no one can see the whites of your eyes either. It's lovely. And you can, it is just like chatting one-on-one with a person. I'm more confident there than I am like holding court. You know, sometimes I'll, I'll start chatting at like at the dinner table and I just have one of those awful moments where, you know, when you can feel a blush happening. Oh. And you're like, what the hell? I'm 47. Why am I blushing? Like, I hate blushing. It's so it's embarrassing. It's the worst because then your brain goes, you're blushing. Okay, blushing happening. Let's provide <laughs> more blush. Bring she the sweat more. on. Yes, yeah. Yeah. yeah, sweat. Go, go, go. Oh, you're like, what? Uh, so that occasionally will happen. But yeah, on air, I feel like it's nice you just can hide. to hide a little bit you can hide in front of millions of people it's lovely right it's so lovely and also you've got this beautiful rapport with your audience so they know 
they know you, you know them. It's just, yeah. it gives it that sort of ease, I guess, as well. So let's talk about Throne because there's, there's so many special things about it. I love the fact that it's based on friendship and friendship mm. being such a key part of it. And also intergenerational friendship. So I love Jamila and Sheila's friendship really stands out to me. Sheila's that bit older than Jamila, but they yeah. really bond and get on. And I've got a couple of mates, both females in their 70s. And we're really good mates. We speak all the time. We WhatsApp all the time. 70-year-olds love using emojis, like more than my <laughs> friends who are my age. Like so many emojis and quite yeah. voice note heavy as well. Yeah. Um, but I love what that dynamic ha sort of offers me, and I'm sure they feel the same, that we get something completely different to being friends with, you know, people our own age or yeah. people we've grown up with. It's, there's something really special about it. What, what made you lean into that sort of dynamic and intergenerational friendship? Well, I just think it was, well, for a start, people who are in their 70s now were, were the sort of punk generation, I think, doing my math. So they were the ones, you know, sort of being loud and brash and fighting and pushing against stuff and being really cool. And, um, and I like the idea because Sheila's very, she's quite, um, she's quite Daily Mail reader, uh, will put on a little, you know, Breton stripe. And she likes a luminous tabard when she's organizing things. She's on the committee at the community center. I love a tabard. Uh, it's quite a powerful statement, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, tabard and a clipboard. She yeah. loves the power of that but she's got a really good heart and I thought it was so nice to bring it together to Jamila because she's, there's some loneliness there in the book and, and Sheila's kind of lonely because her son has grown up and gone even though she's got this stash of hula hoops in the cupboard as if he's going to come back one day um, and she's quite lonely and I think she looks at a younger woman like Jamila and thinks she's got everything like we sometimes can do with other women um, and she finds out that that's not very much the case and they and they support each other And then the rug is really pulled out from Sheila and Jamila really supports her and they go off on an adventure sort of investigating uh, Sheila's husband's behavior mm, you Mustn't <laughs> say any more because that's a wonderful juicy bit of the book that you don't want to yes, give away. Did you like that bit? It's brilliant. It's brilliant. It you kept know, me wondering <laughs> for, for many chapters um, You know bits kept coming to me in the night like I'd, towards the end of the book, I had to sort of bring lots of it together. And I'd literally just, I must have been going to bed thinking about it. And I'd just wake what, in up. A dream it's, state? It's sort of or, in a yeah, dream wow. state. And then just sort of would come to a bit like, oh, they can go there or whatever. And like wake <laughs> up and yeah, well, write brilliant. it down. I obviously haven't written a novel, but when I've been writing other books, I'll often get ideas either when I'm out running, just because yeah. I'll have a clear head, or also, I don't know if there's any other people out here with youngish kids. My daughter, who's six, I've got into a terrible habit, we all do, of doing what she wants me to do, which is for her to go to sleep, I have to hold her hand. Oh, my God. We've all been there, right? Please tell yes, me we've all been yes. there. So I'm sat there holding her hand like this. It's, it's quite quick. It's five, ten minutes. But I am thinking, I shouldn't be doing this. I should have parented her better. She should be independently going to sleep. Anyway, I'm sat there holding her hand. And now I'm using it to have... I'm like, well, I'm going to zone out and think about that project and, you know, just brainstorm on something. So I use that quiet time. I'm painstakingly sat there. While your um, arm goes numb. To, to, yeah, yeah when your, nice. your arm's numb and uh, nightmare. But you could I'm, do keels. 
Do what? You know, the exercise. Oh, with your pelvic floor. Yes. Any fans of pelvic floors in here yeah, tonight? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, my pelvic floor is, yes. it needs the work. Oh, I should be doing that and brainstorming. Doing that. The pe- Pulsing you could do and burn. brainstorming. Why am I doing that action? It's horrible. You know, <laughs> it's impressive. If, yeah, if it was doing that, the, I'd be winning. The, um... You know, I'm always so busy and trying to dash about, and I'm, I'm really bad at sitting or standing still for long. And you know when someone's putting on a bracelet for you, and it's the most sweaty, annoying moment, or a necklace, and you're like, no, okay, no, and they're like, oh, it's quite tricky, and you're like, it's fine, and you're just like, oh, that's when I do keels. Oh, is it? Yes, because I'm like, I thought that was when your ideas not? were coming, but no, it's no, the, back it's, to the pelvic floor. Yeah, back to the pelvic yeah. floor. Yeah. I think any... I mean, we could be doing it now. No we could be know. doing it now. Anybody no. want to confess? No one <laughs> Madam, <know>. she's smiling. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's giving me lots oh, to think about. Sorry. Um, we'll move away from that now. I'm sorry. I'm fine to stick on that subject. But, yeah, I, you know, did you have a certain method with coming up with the characters, the storyline? Was there a certain routine you got into with it? So what was really quite lovely with the first book was that I didn't really know what mistakes I could make until I'd written the first draft and then my editor sort of called in back up. <laughs> was like, okay, you've done a good book, well done. It just <laughs> needs a bit of reorganizing. Because what I was, there was a program on years ago called, um, oh, was it Lives of a She-Devil? It was about, uh, it was this brilliant, I remember watching it when I was little and there was a writer in it, the baddie, this glamorous woman called Mary something. And she'd sit writing, like, on a cliff top next to her house with the wind in her hair. And I thought, well, that's how I'll be. So I started writing this book <laughs> in Wilson Green, like, not <laughs> on a cliff. With a fan on. Yeah, with, like, <laughs> eating, you know, custard creams or whatever. <laughs> and all this lovely stuff came, all these stories came, and all these people, like, formed before my eyes. And I wrote it all, and it was great. Um, but I won't be doing that again. <laughs> because then you... It, it, the best way of saying it is like I'd built a really nice snowman, but I'd put the big ball at the top right. and the tiny ball underneath and the carrot nose God just like whacked on yeah. top and, you know, bits of sticks stuck in it. So it just needed a lot of work. But it was a really nice way to write. And I'm trying to write another book now, which is a different book. And I feel like I'm a bit restrained because I've learnt my lessons, so I'm trying to avoid, you know, the lessons from the first one. How did you find getting all that feedback? Because it can be quite a horrible process, which yeah. I've been through many times, where yeah. you get back your work and there's all these red dots that you have to click on with little notes and constructive yeah. criticism. And, I mean, I, I think I'm used to it now and I, can, I don't take it personally, but the first time I was like, oh my God, I'm going to be sick. I couldn't bear it. That, yeah. Because you are broken down. And I know, obviously, sort of having a job in the public eye anyway, being somebody that talks to the nation every day, you're used to an element of feedback. But when it's something so personal and a story that you've invested in that you yeah. love, how did you take that? Yeah, I cried. Yeah, it's horrible. <laughs> I cried and said, I can't do writing then and Chris. <laughs> And Christmas is ruined because it was just before Christmas. I think when you write your first draft, you're so excited like anything that you've completed. You're like, ta-da! 
Uh, excellent. There you go. Yeah, look put for, it out. Look in forward the shops. to the launch. Yeah, <laughs> organise a party. See you for nibbles. We'll just serve you that as it is. Be fine. We don't need to do an edit. It's boring. Uh, and they were like, no. So um, I was messaging with Jeremy Vine, good friend and colleague, who's written a, a novel. I think his second one's out soon. And uh, he was like, you know, I, I won't do his accent, but like he messaged me and he's like, oh. You know, the worst thing you can do is kick off with your editor and then back down and do it all anyway. And I was like, well, this is awkward. That's exactly what I've just done. Because I was like, I hate writing. Christmas is cancelled. You've ruined my life. Send. And then I was like, I'm really sorry about that last email. Yeah, you're right. I'll do it all. And then I just buckled down and did it. And got to say, they were absolutely bob on with every point that they made. So that's why they do their job. Yeah, they're uh, very good on To help me yeah, do mine a bit less. Shit. Yeah, but this. Yeah, but, <laughs> but next time, like you say, you like you know the kind yeah. of the parameters and the rules, and yeah. you'll probably end up having way more fun because you know where to go and where not yeah, to go. Yeah, I hope so. I just need to make the time. Do you know what I mean? I've got yeah. I've got a lot of pets. Bad excuse. <laughs> I know. So many pets. Yeah. Horses and whatnot. Yeah. So did you have a, t a time of the day that felt right? To, I mean, obviously you've got the radio show in in the middle of well towards the end of the day. But was yeah. there a certain time where you felt more creative? You felt in the zone to do it. Definitely early morning. I feel yeah. like I've switched from night owl to lark-ish behaviour. <laughs> Larking about first thing in the morning, but also nobody was up then, and it was during lockdown. I'd started it in February 2020, like. Nothing's going to stop me. Here we go. <laughs> like, I'm going to have a perfect year. And, um, and, yeah, and then a month later. So I was getting up quite early just to get into the office and write. But, you know, in the... Um, oh, did you go into to Radio 2 to No, write? no. So oh. we, we've got, like, an office at the bottom of the garden. Oh, nice. Nice. So I'd sneak you're down You're still there. going to work. It's a short commute, but you're going to work. Yeah, it's actually my husband. It's where my husband does his work from, no, most of his work from. So we'll do... We've got a couple of tortoises, so we'll complain about the traffic being slow because he's stuck behind the tortoises. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, every time he makes that joke, the kids are like, Jesus. Like, <laughs> get some new material, Dad. I'm like, it's brilliant um so yeah i'd go go down there and work early mornings and you know you know you were t saying you those brilliant showbiz stories at the top you know about 20 about the year 2020 our best thing is that we went over christmas went to we went to very lucky went to bahamas on a big holiday and we were at a water park and we'd queued up for like you know 30 minutes to get to the top of this water slide me and the kids and my husband and all of a sudden there's a kerfuffle happening and jack black movie star appears at the top of the water slide security have let him through he's with a security guy and uh you know they've got the green and red lights on a water slide um, it was still on red, so he was sort of stuck next to us, and we were like, oh, my God, it's Jack Black. Um, and I didn't say anything to him, because I was thinking, I've interviewed you once, you were a knobhead. But I thought, don't say that. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Don't ruin the moment. Jack Black, Brilliant. the kids are excited. Um, and uh, it goes to my husband, yeah, man. How are you doing? And my husband's like, yes, because he's from, yes. like, Hampstead. He's like, yes. <laughs> and, um, and Jack Black goes, 2020, man, it's going to be awesome. <laughs> and we go, yeah. And then, you know, you're supposed to sort of lie like that on some of these slides. There was a sign saying that, and he just went, 2020, and then dived down it head first. Like, <laughs> and we were like, woo. 2020. <laughs> oh. 
So we want our money back, Jack Black, if you're listening. Oh, yeah. Jack Black, got it so wrong. <laughs> apparently he's a bit of a knob. He's a bit of a knob. That bit of a might knob. have been having a bad day, who knows? Probably having a bad um, day. Yeah, so we'll forgive him. Um, talking of your husband, mm. I hear your husband and my husband have something in common in the fact that he hasn't read your book. No. My husband hasn't read any of mine. <gasps> How many have you done, babe? You've a done lot. like six or something. Yeah, a lot. Yeah. And he's it's got weird. them like well-meaning. They're on, they're by the bed. <laughs> they've just, they've never been opened ever, ever, ever. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he's not read the memoir. He's not read this one. I mean, I guess their excuses, I sort of know who you are. Yeah, so. they, it's kind of like, well, I've got enough of you in my life. <laughs> exactly. I don't need to be like <laughs> reading, about you as well. laying next to you in bed, <laughs> reading about you as well. The, my dad hasn't read the memoir and it's about my dad. Yeah. So that just says a lot about the man. Because imagine if someone wrote a book that's basically about you, you'd read it, wouldn't you? Oh my God, you'd be over you the would. moon. You'd be like, hello. Yeah. So I folded over a page in the memoir for my dad, going, look, this is a bit about being in the wagon. You'll like this bit. And he's like, oh, my cows. Oh, okay, fine. So it's still not, but I kind of love that. It's fine. Yeah, I kind of like that as well. Just the nonplussed factor. Yeah, it's just great. the not barfed. Not yeah, barfed. he texted me a minute ago. I was thinking, oh, he might be wishing me good luck. And he went, where are we going again in Menorca? <laughs> I'm doing some work. Busy. My dad never texts me, ever. Mm. Like, oh, he, no. Oh, I that was my husband me. who texted me about Menorca. Oh, not, not your dad. Not taking my dad to Menorca. He's got no one to mind the cows. <laughs> this I is so him. true. This is so true. Your poor dad. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Let's talk about friendship again, because I think it's so important. And I don't think we've really done a Happy Place episode that's been based around friendship, strangely. Mm. And it is such an important backbone of, of so many bits of your life. And it you know, informs who you become as a person and brings new opportunities and new subject matters that you get buzzed about. It can be complicated. It can mm. be beautiful. Um, and I don't feel like I've really given it enough attention or focus. And I wonder, first of all, do you think you're a good friend? Mm. Oh. Uh, What's the question? Gosh. I think I am, actually. I bet you're so... Yeah, because... I mean, I think if you've got lovely friends who you've been friends with for donkey's years, then that's, that's your proof right there in your little pudding friends. <laughs> so are you, are you going back as far as school, childhood? I go back as far as being 19 and meeting my best friend Claire when she was 17 and we met in South Korea, modelling capital of the world. Uh, we were there. It's a well-trodden path, this, but my boobs were too big for Japan. Oh, my God. That, what a wonderful problem <laughs> to have. in the memoir. I know. Oh, my God. Uh, so, yeah, so it would be Claire and then friends that I've made since then through work, a lot at Radio 1. You know, Meg, yeah. Megan's one of my, one of my bezies and Anna. Megan. She's and, down yeah. the road today. She's working at the other 
bit of the podcast show. Is she? Yeah. Very successful woman So there. successful. Carver PR. I love Doesn't her. it sound so impressive? Carver PR is posh sounding. So good. Megan's doing great. Um, but yeah, so I think I'm a good friend. I think I'm loyal and supportive and hilarious, hopefully. <laughs> annoying. And ha- Annoying, no. And how, how have your friends supported you in tougher times? Well... Let me think. I, I guess there's just... I mean, Claire is like... She's from Manchester. She's, she's my queen bee. And she is the sort of... Well, they all are, actually. It's just the drop, drop everything and run to be by your side when needed. And Touchwood, I've not had many occasions where, you know, there's been something super traumatic... They're just, they're just always there, aren't they? And they just get you, and you can just be 100% yourself. And it feels like... It just does feel like on a computer game, like where you, like... I've not really played a computer game for, like, 30 years, but where you, you know, like, power up, like, like your soul. It just feeds your soul when you're with your best girl crew. Yeah. There's nothing like it. And you only realise how much you miss it when you've been with them, and you're like, God, we need to you know, be together more rather than just leaving lengthy voice notes on WhatsApp is what we do a lot. Oh, my God. I know I've got so many of those, like, mm. sort of tennis games going on. And we're like, we just yeah. need to see each other in yeah. the flesh. How did you find it? Because I've got a group of friends that I've known from school that I'm really good friends with. Mm. And I guess there's a sort of, oh, I hate the word journey, but I'm going to have to use it, like a journey you go on together through life where... You know, things are happening to different people at different times, but certainly when either you or one of your friends has a big change, might, might be moving, but often also having kids changes things due to sort of time, energy levels. Mm. I remember certainly feeling when I had probably my first, my son Rex, who's nine now, and I still find it hard now, like, where is the time to see my friends? You yeah. know, it, more often than not, it will be, in the day, because I'm actually awake and have a brain that operates in the day. I'm so tired, I can barely yeah. function in sort of like evening scenarios. But I've, I think I've struggled with that since having kids. I've still, my friends are there, I, they know I'm here, we're there for each other forever. Yeah. But it's the sort of face contact, you know, being with each other. I just have found that very difficult since having kids. And I think people find that, you know, scary to admit often yeah. you, you, it's uh, we talked about this with Amanda Decadne on the on an episode that's out this week and she was sort of saying I don't think women can have it all and she admitted she's only got a tiny group of friends now but that's yeah. what she wants yeah, but the going same. out and socializing is just it's almost impossible at times yeah same no I'm the same I've, I've not got time for any more friends like I'm literally like I'm not here to make friends guys yeah. like I just can barely see the ones that I've got um, I managed to time a couple of the kids with a couple of my mates having kids, which Ideal. was helpful because then you could all just drink wine and ignore your kids <laughs> as they like cause havoc in a pizza express yeah. or whatever. And you're like, whatever. <laughs> Fine. Um, and I find that the, the most satisfying way is even if it's just once a year is to have a weekend away with them. Because then you really get down to the nitty-gritty when you're watching Strictly and you're drinking margaritas in big fluffy robes. And if you can just do it once a year, just go away one or two nights if you can. You don't have to go on a big fancy holiday. But just because that's when you just 
go deeper than scratching the surface. Because I find when we're all tired and we're all busy, and then you find that you're going through like a list of questions if you meet someone when you're tired, and it's one of your best friends, and you're like, how's your mom? How are the kids? Yeah. How's the, you know, work all right? And you're just like, ding, ding, ding. And it's, and it's not satisfying. And you're both tired and you're both there because you love each other. But, you know, if you get to go away, then that seems to sort of tide us over and we can just keep it up with voice notes for the rest of the time. <laughs> but basically. that's the good thing about having a really old friendship means yeah. that whether it's been a week or a year, you, there is no awkwardness. You just pick up yeah. where you left off. And that's such a... A lovely feeling. I've actually got a friend in the audience who I'm completely embarrassed now called Kat. I can't see Kat because I can't see anything. Um, but I'd worked with Kat as a kid on Dig It. And, was um, that a construction show? <laughs> Dig It was not a construction show, oh, show Sarah. So it was a kids' TV show about Disney with Disney cartoons. And there was an inflatable sofa, a pet dog. It was Come an on. absolute disaster. You started so young, didn't you? Were you like 15, 15 or something? yes. I mean, Kat was only a bit older than me, but Kat was doing all the counts in my ear. And we hung out a lot then. I think I even smoked my first cigarette with cats, which I'll admit on this podcast. Gosh. It was a roll-up, very exciting. Um, <laughs> those days have passed. But anyway, I didn't see Cat for years and years. And then we ended up living in the same area and bumped into each other in Waitrose, which was excellent. And now we see each other all the time again, nice. like no time has passed. Yeah. I think it's always so lovely when there's that level of comfort where it's like we're just back to where we were. Yeah. You don't get that with everybody. And I think... That's the painful bit about friendships. And again, it's probably not talked about enough. We can focus on heartache in relationships yeah. and how painful that is because it's so final. But sometimes with friendships, whether they naturally dissipate mm. or there might have been a scenario where things just didn't work out, the lines still feel a bit blurry because nobody's ever said, I'm breaking up with you or yeah. it's over. It just sort of goes. And sometimes it can happen quite slowly. And yeah. I think that's probably more complicated than breaking up with a partner. Yeah, I mean, I did once have to do some gentle weeding with my friendship group. Uh, just, uh, just one person about 20 years ago or so who just didn't make me feel nice about yeah. myself. And I think it came from her. We weren't best friends or anything, and she was sort of in the biz, in the biz we call show. And she, uh, she was just like horrible to me, like just, it just would put me down and made me feel bad and it was quite empowering. I thought, you know what, I'm kind of going to break friends with this person. But that's the one and only time I've been brave enough and that's because it takes a while to wind me up but then once I go, I'm like, no, done, like death by yeah. a thousand cuts. I'm like, I'm But it's funny because we do put up with a lot, you yeah. know, it might not even be a great friend but someone we, you know, is in our social circle that yeah. we see out and you know, you know, we... We're all so intuitive and we forget that or we get blocked. But we have a feeling when we're around yeah. people and you either walk away feeling really boosted and yeah. good and happy or you, I will often be with certain people, not many of them, mm -hmm. but you get that feeling where I feel a bit edgy. Yes. I get really insecure. I start second guessing everything I'm saying. Like, should I have said that? Yes. Have I pissed them off? Yeah. Just worrying about it all. And it, you know, it's all on the opening gambits. Whatever comes out of their mouth first. So there was one time with um, a girl who went, oh, those earrings are snazzy. Oh, snazzy. Do now, you like that word? Is it me? Snazzy's a little bit off, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's a isn't bit suspect. A little bit, oh, a bit jazzy, a bit snazzy, jazzy a bit garish, a bit vulgar, a bit like... Yeah, jazzy. 
Yeah, don't really want a snazzy or a jazzy earring. No, Thank you're you very out. much. It was that yeah, quick. You're out. out. Yeah, Bye. no. <laughs> <laughs> but otherwise, uh, yeah, I've not had to. I've not had to do it too much. But you're right. You find yourself sort of altering and adjusting. You don't really want to be doing that. No. You get to an age where you're like. You get no. to an age where you're like, because um, I did that all the time in my twenties with friendship sort of situations, but also partners where I would. You know, I would all of a sudden, oh yeah, I love that band, never heard of them. <laughs> and you sort of start mimicking their life to try yeah. and fit in. I do think you just naturally arrive at a point where you go, I, that's so boring, I'm too tired, I don't want to yes. do that. I just want to be me. Yeah, you become a bit chameleon-esque, don't you, where you try yeah. and just sort of blend in with them a little bit. And that's a good friend, isn't it, I think? Turning up as you on any day, a good yeah. day, a bad day, one when you're just feeling a bit low and that you can be quite honest about that. Like, I'm just feeling a bit funky and not great and they just accept you as you are like that's I think the true measure of really good friendship yeah absolutely and um yeah you just can't you just you just can't beat it really you just can't you know it does just build you up when you're with strong people yeah how do you think your friendship groups have informed who you are I mean if I look at my there's there's six of us that grew up together and we're we, we see each other throughout the year. We're all really close. And certainly with one of my really good friends, Ali, she might meet a stranger or bump into someone out. And they go, God, you really sound like Fern Cotton. Like, we, we, uh, we sort of have the same diction, the same sort of cadence to how we're speaking. And we, uh, it's sort of an interesting thing that I've thought about. Like, it's like we've sort of built each other in this mm. group and we've all kind of learned from each other and worked out who we are with each other. And I wonder if you have a similar mm. feeling that certain friends have helped you become who you are mm. today, I guess. Can I just reassure the podcast listeners, it is Fern Cotton speaking now, not Bowers. Ali. Because be Ali? that could have been a curveball, but it is Fern. <laughs> um, yeah, so I've got uh, the five Go French crew. That's what Go we French? What's, where's that from? So France. We went to France quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a few years on the trot. Uh, my father-in-law had a lovely place in the south of France. Yes, I married very well. Uh, although my husband's been to the, the cow farm in Bolton. <laughs> Uh, but um, <laughs> gotta keep it equal. Yes, exactly. So we we used to go over to France, and we became the five go French. And what's funny with them is that each of them just bring a little something different to the table, and together, you know, they're unstoppable. <laughs> uh, and uh, you know, so there's there's Elle, who's a little bit, you know, she's super amazing job in the city, super busy, but she kind she's really got a dry sense of humour and kind of, you know, is a little bit more restrained at first. It looked quite dry and sarky and very funny. And then there's Anna, who's kind of the wild child of the group, you know, Megan, who's super practical, super hilarious, who we know, you know, and Emily, who's a bit more of like the mother of the group, but then when you let her loose, you know, she's, she's like the naughtiest one. And so when we're all together, it's just like there's a magic happens and it's so lovely and it just brings out like the best I love being around them so much and something about a group of women or a group of friends that when you're away together like if we're knocking up a bit of lunch 
there's not really any communication needed because we all want each other to feel good. Whereas sometimes when you're in a family situation, you're a bit like, no, fine, you relax. I'll just peel these potatoes again, <laughs> even though I'm on holiday too. You know, it's that kind of thing. But when you're with a bunch of friends, you're like, like no, no, I'll, get, I'll be chopping this. One will be doing this. The other will be pouring the rosé. You know, and it just feels like we're just sort of like you know, a five-armed octopus of friendship. Oh. <laughs> That's my next book. <laughs> right now. I love that you picked an eight-armed creature. <laughs> and just to, logged yeah, off. Not, not yeah. to two arms off there. They're the friends that I've dumped. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> not really. <laughs> I don't want to get this oh, reputation. I love it. Um, how did you find the writing process versus the radio process? Because they could not be more polar opposite if mm. you tried in terms of, and I think we talked to Annie Mack about this a bit because she's obviously had a similar experience in writing Mother Mother. And obviously when you're on the radio, it's so quick. Yes. It's ephemeral. You say it and it's gone and never to be heard again, hopefully. You just, you're there and you're reacting and it's buzzy and it's wild and it just feels adrenaline fueled mm. and... Um, and you don't have to, you know, there's obviously an element of prep and a huge element of skill that you have to learn over years. But when you're in the moment, you can just wing it and go with it. Yeah. Whereas with a book, it is so slow. Yeah. At times laborious, you're having to go back over things five, six, seven times to check and look over it. It's really polar opposite. Did you find yourself feeling impatient when you were writing? Yeah, a little bit. I found myself like being a bit of a word count <laughs> uh, watcher, where I was just like, oh God, it was, you know, it was a big barn. It was a very, very, very big barn. Good. <laughs> Go and have a cup of tea now. Uh, but yeah, like you say, because on the radio, you just say, poof, it's gone. If you have a bad show, the beauty about a daily show is if you have a bad show, you're like, I'm back tomorrow and I'm going to kill it tomorrow. Um, but, you know, with a book, you've just got to keep, like you say, circling back on it and trying to finesse it. But here's the thing, without finessing it too much, because then it loses its rhythm and its flow. And, you know, because if you're just going back and constantly tweaking. So I guess it's like knowing, I don't know, like a musician might know, you know, not to go in and keep tweaking that bit of bass or whatever they do. And the same with Mary Berry and her biscuits, you know, don't, don't add any raisins. It's, you've done enough to that biscuit, Mary. Um, so it's that kind of thing of like then leaving it alone and moving on. But yeah, I mean, it's a long process. I'm just at the start of a new one and I'm a bit like, it's oh like you're at the God, foot of a mountain. Yeah, it's a bit over. It's quite overwhelming, but you know, exciting. So, I mean, so my face didn't say exciting yeah, then, so did it? I was like, exciting. <laughs> but, <you know. laughs> Jesus, can't wait to get up at five tomorrow before the <laughs> yeah. kids to get stuck Woo. into that. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about your amazing career because oh, it's, um, you know what I forgot to say. Sorry, yeah. it slipped out of my brain. I did tell you I had a brain like that this yeah. evening. Friends, somebody said to me, uh, either radiators. Or drains. Yeah. That's the one, isn't it? Has anybody heard that quote? I think I, yeah, I think I got it slightly wrong. It's something like that. Oh, it so is. that's what I'm drawn to, and that's what my five go French and Claire are very much give me warmth and heat and positivity and nourish me. And the one that I binned off is becoming quite a feature for this podcast <laughs> accidentally now, was very much a drain. Yeah. Mm. I just think it's that fear of we don't allow ourselves to do that life laundry and get rid of people yeah. we feel like we have to be committed or put up with it yeah, and much like hard. in a sour relationship we just 
we shouldn't. No. We need to get braver at going, this isn't working for me. And yeah. But I think it's just working out logistically how like is it a verbal situation where you say this isn't working yes. or is it just a gradual ignoring your whatsapps or you, you could bring in paperwork some sort of certificate wow. like wow <laughs> the friendship is done yes, deceased sign here yes. and here <laughs> here that's it just one more and here no, right, yeah. you're done yeah thank you <laughs> it's so funny i just think yeah we we find that very difficult mm. and and also to find peace afterwards because i've certainly had that happen where there's people that I don't see anymore and I know why I don't see them and they probably know why they don't see me but I often can't find peace in it I still feel edgy about it sometimes it will pop into my head in the middle of the day when I'm thinking about something else there's a slight discomfort there Mm. whereas I wouldn't have that with an ex-partner I think that obviously had its time and it's over but it's weird with a friend that you you can question it should I have done this should I have you know, it could be apologised or should I have made more effort or whatever it might be. Mm. But at the end of the day, if it wasn't right, it wasn't right. And you yeah. just have to have that acceptance. And you've probably only got enough spaces in your life to be occupied by yeah. friends. Anyway, maybe that's it. There was a number, I should know this, about the, the maximum number of people that really? you can well, how many friends you have, in, have in life, like the, that you can, the, the human brain can cope with. It's like 144, but we're talking colleagues and, you know, yeah. friends of, and people who are in your life, and they boiled it down to, you know, that most people have just got, you know, a handful of friends, count them on one hand. That's probably why we all feel like we're slightly losing the plot a lot of the time, Mm. because due to social media, that has expanded weirdly, where we're sort of in touch with way too many people, and we're trying to keep up some sort of, you know, patter and discussion with them, but it's completely unachievable. Like, we're driving ourselves mad trying to do that. Yeah, it's hard. If people, I mean... People are really lovely and they'll say hi. And because I've not really been on Facebook, it's quite an eye-opener when, if I go into like my Insta messages, because I didn't really, wasn't really going in there that much. And there'll be people messaging from like my, from like my secondary school. And I've not really been like that in touch with people from then. And it's like, whoa, I'm just like, someone's grabbed me and dragged me, swirled me back to double geography on a Wednesday morning. <laughs> But this person obviously is now my age. Yeah, yeah. And their kids look exactly like them, like, you know, when I knew them at 16 or whatever. It's all just a bit like, it's, it's too much. Yeah, it's, it is quite unnatural, but we've normalised the whole thing. Yeah. So we're, we're accepting I of it. Thousands of friends. Thousands of friends. We don't need thousands of friends. We need, as you clarified earlier, five. <laughs> yeah, that's five it. octopus arms only. Um, I love... And I've loved as a fan watching what you've done with your career over the years. I loved the girly show so much back in the day. Oh. I'm obviously, I'm still great friends with Sarah Kaywood. Are, are you? Do- yeah. So, I didn't know that. I speak to Sarah all the time. She's just so lovely and so brilliant to sort of see where you've taken your career. And it's very sort of naturally, organically unfurled in the way it has. Mm. Before the girly show, when you were modelling and you were in South Korea with your big boobs and mm. all that sort of stuff going on. Um, Someone's just listened halfway through. They're like, what fun? What's she doing boobs for? I would have done so well modelling in South Korea with my tiny boobs. Uh, Japan. Trip. You'd have been Japan, Japan, babe. Japan. You'd have been Tokyo. There, oh, Tokyo would have been yeah, amazing Bit for of me. class. But that boat has sailed. Um, <laughs> but um, did you think at that point when you were modelling, 
you know, this isn't enough for me. There's something... Did you, did, did you have your eyes set on DJing, presenting at that point? Well, when you're a model, you're, um, you basically, you're a clothes hanger. So you don't have, you're not allowed to have any sort of opinion uh, or point of view or a voice, really. Like, you're literally... You know, the stuff that they'll give you to wear, you're like, really, babe? Okay, fine. Yeah. Put it on. And, and, and what was really lovely was... I just knew that I didn't want to go to uni because my sister was at university studying law and French and she was skint and she was always ringing home like, there's eight of us and we've only got one potato and we've no shoes. And I'm like, oh, I don't like sending to uni at all. I'm like, no, I'm just going to faff about modelling for a couple of years. Um, and actually, when I got the chance to do the girly show, because they had a model casting, so they were clearly looking for a you know, serious journalist yeah, for a beauty. <laughs> and, um, and I went out and I took my hairbrush, like you do when you're singing in the mirror. I thought, this will do as a microphone when I'm auditioning to be a TV presenter. And, um, and I found it really natural and really fun just to show off. That probably comes from being the youngest of five and just desperately trying to get attention my entire childhood and competing with, you know, animals and older children uh, for fuss and food. Um, but uh, so it was lovely to be like given a voice. It was like, you know, Little Mermaid getting a voice back again, you know. Oh, I was like, I'm allowed to speak now that I'm not just a clothes horse. I can actually have an opinion. So it wasn't the aim, but I sort of fell into it. I always thought I'd be doing really weird. I had a feeling I'd be doing something media-ish. I might have had to eventually get off to uni and go and study journalism or something. But it was not once it started, I was like, oh, yeah. And when did, you, when did you feel like you really got into your swing of it and found your voice because obviously when you start out mm. I don't know about you but when I started presenting I was just trying to copy everyone else I saw like oh yeah. I really like Zoe Ball and Live and Kicking so what would Zoe do and I would try and emulate that and it took me years to go oh this is and probably only really if I'm completely honest in the last five years have yeah. I found that much deeper layer of comfort where I go yeah. I can just literally turn up as me yeah and interesting. I might be feeling buzzy that day or a bit low energy that day but I can just be whatever I am rather than putting on a show putting on a thing yeah and when did you find that well it's funny you say that I've not really thought of that before and I reckon so 26 years ago I did the girly show and it was probably similar like probably about 10 years ago or even less than that where I suddenly thought you know you know, I've always loved radio and I've always felt in my groove and myself on the radio, definitely. But when it comes to being in front of the camera, I think actually the great pottery throwdown was one of the best things to have happened to my career because suddenly I wasn't just, you know, a gob on a stick showing off. You know, that's how they thought of me because they'd not really heard me on the radio. They just thought, oh, on telly, she's quite sort of brash and over the top. And actually, I just wanted to be kind of funny, but I'm friendly and can be warm, you know. And I think on that show, they, they really gave me the chance to just be myself. And I absolutely loved it. And it ticked all the boxes where they just let me be a bit silly and try and get a few laughs, but also to just be you know, naturally nosy and to chat to people. And I think that really changed the minds of lots of TV-type people and TV-type people. TV-types. Uh, <laughs> really and, and that's sort of what... The more, yeah, more jobs sort of came after that. But, yeah, I, I basically spent sort of 
you know, I had a few years at the start where I was like girly show and all that. And then 10 years, not in the wilderness, I was still on Radio 1 and doing other bits and bobs, but I felt like I spent a good 10 years, a good decade making up for the first decade of my career where I'd been seen as being a bit, you know, wild, you know, party animal. I'd been a bit boxed like that. And my lovely agent, Melanie, who's here tonight, give me a whoop, Mel, she better have me. Oh, good, excellent. <laughs> Better have be like that. Um, she used to take me around to meet commissioners when work was really slow and it was really humiliating and I hated it. I hate those oh meetings. Oh, my God, because she's like, look, you've just got to like, you're a bit like a, a sort of, a, you know, a bride nobody wanted, like being oh. shoved in front, like, look, look, <laughs> take my daughter. She's not old enough to be my mum. I better say that, no, she'll kill me. <laughs> uh, but she was literally like, you know, just get in front of people and say hi, and maybe they'll think of you for work in the future. So there was definitely the years of of that so oh, I'm, yeah I'm really grateful bring back very painful memories because I did a big stint of those as well and did I, you? I, I thought it was just me being dragged around no so many to the point where I said I refused to do them because I would go in oh. and invariably someone would go they'd be sort of looking on their phone and go what have you been up to and I'd go oh my god you don't even know yeah. that's so embarrassing that I've got to actually first of all tell you and then then I ended up sort of selling myself yes. and then feeling like a wally yeah horrendous but it is interesting how people do get boxed I I still feel the same with it now. Obviously, I started when I was a kid. So for until I was like in my mid-20s, people thought I was 15. I'd be like sent freebies, like a Hello Kitty rucksack. <laughs> like, I'm 26, I have a flat. I don't want a Hello Kitty rucksack. I'm like mad. And, um, and then I think I probably got boxed a bit with like Radio 1, like youth, yeah. cool, gigs. Like my worst phrase ever, that will happily admit to you because it's a safe space, people. I can't even say the words. Oh, God. Rock chick. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay. Oh, I can't. I can't. I'll I... see your rock chick and I'll raise you a ladette. Oh. <laughs> I feel no, actually not. sick about this conversation we're having. Yeah. I can't bear it because not a single bit of you in that moment identifies with what you're being called. Yeah. I was like... I'm never wearing black nail polish ever again. <laughs> and then people would sort of, you know, if someone drew like a picture of me or whatever, it'd be like skull t-shirt, you know, black strip in my hair. And I was like, oh my God, that was 15 years ago. I can't bear it. So I think we probably always feel we've got to prove ourselves a bit more than we should. I yeah. still feel like I'm in that, if I'm honest, especially with TV. With the podcasting, I feel very happy just yeah. turning up as me. But I don't think I've ever regained my confidence in TV. I'm still up for giving it a go down the line, but I still feel like I'm trying to prove myself in a sense, mm. which um, I think many of us feel in all different careers that we're yeah, in, that we're absolutely. constantly trying to prove to other people, like, this is who I am, see who I really am. I'm not a rock chick. See who <laughs> I am. I have, like, two kids and two stepkids and spend most of my time doing laundry. Um, but you, we're, we're constantly trying to prove ourselves to others. Yeah. And, um, it's in, like the sort of ages of women that, yeah. and I guess if you're in the public eye, they've just seen the years where you've, you know, you've been wearing a school t-shirt or whatever as a 15 year old yeah. and they've just clung on to that. They've sort yeah. of frozen you in time. And it's the same with me, you know, through my twenties were sort of, you know, going out, working, pre-kids, thirties, kids, and then forties is much more about me. And I think that's why 
for any ladies out there who are hurtling towards their 40s. 40s are great. great. I mean, I've really work-wise and everything. I've been, I've, I've, I've loved them. Confidence-wise, just giving less of a shit. Yeah. It is that cliche, isn't it? I mean, I turned 40 last year and already I'm feeling the glimmers of that one. That yeah. you, I just give less of a shit about so many things in my life. And I'm looking forward to that momentum just growing and growing massively. I didn't know we could say that word. That's why I've been singing it. I don't know if you've noticed. What, shit? Yeah, I've been going... Oh, you can do any swears. Okay, good. You're not on the radio now, babe. I know, I'm like, the shackles are off. I think Catelyn Morang dropped the C-bomb. Oh. Pretty certain that she did. We won't be doing that. We're in Islington. It's very well healed. No, we're very, very, very civilised people. We won't be doing that. But yeah, it's a free space. That's why I like podcasting. Zero rules. So nice. I was actually here for Annie Max, speaking of Annie, for her... Was it here? Yeah, her Before Midnight. Did anybody come to that? It was amazing. Yes, oh, thank you. Oh, it looked so good. We were on a podium together, raving. Uh, it was amazing, wasn't it? it? Finished just before midnight, as Perfect. the name suggests, and uh, came and had a little dance. I told anybody that would listen that day that I was going to a club that night, like literally, stop, you know, flagging down buses to go. I'm going clubbing tonight. <laughs> Me, yeah. Um, and it was, yeah, and it was brilliant. I love that she's done that. It's, yeah. Again, it, you know. Well, there's an example of a woman embracing who she is now. Yeah, and just saying, right, this I'm is... I'm making it work for yes. her. Like, my life has changed. It doesn't suit me to be doing a 3, 4 a.m. set. Yeah. So I'm going to make it work for me. I think that's so brilliant. Yeah, she's like totally, you know. But it also works for so many, not just women, just for people who just want to have some sleep and still go out and oh have a God. dance. I, like, even tonight, I'm having a slight panic. It is 10 to 9. Yes. Normally, I like to slip in between the covers at about 20 past. Yes. Read for half an hour, and then I'm off at 10. That won't be happening tonight. No, I'd be rinsing my retainer at this point. That's another rinsing lovely image. Rinsing retainer. <laughs> it's all glamour. <laughs> Climbing into bed. You know, it, that's in uh, This Is 40, isn't it? It's a great oh, film. Oh, I love now. that film. Literally. I know. I need to rewatch that now I am actually 40. Yes. Because I appreciated it at sort of 30, but I'm going to really bed in with that one. Yeah, you and Hobby should watch it with a big list. It's like play bingo, like, yeah, yes. Yeah, I've done that. That's, that's us. quite depressing. Um, well, look, Sarah, I cannot thank you enough thank for you. chatting. I'm Thanks so. I'm so excited to see what your next book is and just to see the buzz around this book is so brilliant. So please, everybody, give it up for the wonderful Sarah Cox. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, God, I love that. So much fun. I adore Sarah Cox. Just such a wonderful person with a big heart and a brilliant sense of humour. Really enjoyed that. And thank you to our gorgeous audience as well, you lovely lot. Sarah's novel, Throne, is out now. And I meant everything I said about her being a brilliant storyteller, so I would absolutely urge you to go and read it. I'll be back next week, but in the meantime, you can always let me know what you made of that episode, what you took away from Sarah's words. You can even tell me about your own friendships. I would love that. Just pop over to our Instagram, at happyplaceofficial. I love hearing from you all. And if you'd like to experience more Happy Place events for yourself, do head over to happyplaceofficial.co.uk slash events because we have our festival coming up very soon and I'd love to see you there. Massive thanks again to Sarah, to the brilliant producer Anushka Tate at Rethink Audio who was wearing a delightful lilac suit on that occasion and to you whether you joined us live or listening in your headphones. Thank you so much for being a part of Happy Place. It means the world to us. 
mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com